I have a quick update before we start talking about this hard charger. History of the Marine Corps is now on Patreon. I have a lot of goals for this podcast for 2021, which include making YouTube videos about Marine Corps battles, conducting some more interviews with Marines, and even visiting some of these battle sites we discuss on the podcast and creating virtual tours of the battlefield. Patreon is one of the ways we will make that happen. Patreon is a way for supporters of the podcast to directly support the show. And depending on what tier you join, you get certain perks and access no one else gets. Visit patreon.com slash marine history to look at our Patreon page. I'll include the link in the podcast description as well. Thank you for your time. And now on to the show. Welcome to episode 50 of History of the Marine Corps, Archibald Henderson. Last week we covered the Second Barbary War, also known as the Aldrin War. This war was over quickly, but it's still a significant conflict, and the United States Marine Corps and the United States Navy were instrumental in winning this war. We're now breaking into a discussion about the legendary Marine Archibald Henderson. Henderson served as the Commandant for 38 years. That is the longest anyone served as a Commandant. The length of his service earned him the nickname, Grand Old Man of the Marine Corps. This episode introduces this legend, and we get into a couple of interesting stories about Henderson. This motivator will be in charge for the next few decades, and this episode will set the stage by introducing the 5th Commandant of the Marine Corps, or 4th if you're counting acting commandants, who will further define the reputation of the United States Marine Corps. Thanks for joining, now let's talk about the history of the Marine Corps. Marines started to make a name for themselves as the years went on. Conflict after conflict, Marines faced challenges well beyond their experience. And they reacted appropriately and efficiently. The quasi-war with France helped the Marine Corps understand their strength. Marines perfected their marksmanship skills on board moving ships, strengthened their organization with defined roles and strong leadership, and outperformed many of their colleagues when it came to creativity and courage. The first war with the Barbary pirates further illustrated Marines' reputation by showing their intensity, their ability to lead an expeditionary force, and taking on a mission many thought would fail. The War of 1812 was the cherry on top, and despite horrendous losses by the Army, the United States Marines contributed to the success of many naval battles and stopped British forces on land. Marine historian McClellan stated, quote, there has never been a war when the Marines did more in proportion to their numbers than in this war. The credit belongs to Lieutenant Colonel Commandant Franklin Wharton. He solved the problem of placing Marines upon 70 naval vessels, or providing a strong battalion that participated in several land engagements, including the Battle of Bladensburg. Of having an efficient company at New Orleans, ready for Commodore Daniel Todd Patterson, and Major General Andrew Jackson to use in defense of New Orleans, of developing a seasoned expeditionary force to support land operations of the Commodore Isaac Chauncey Squadron and the Lake Ontario Theater of War, and of maintaining sufficient forces throughout the United States to carry on the usual naval and military missions of the Corps. Unquote. 
After the War of 1812, the United States saw a few decades of peace, for the most part. There were some local battles with Native American tribes, but nothing major until 1846, with the Mexican-American War. Despite the peace enjoyed by some U.S. citizens, Marines were still active for nearly every year after the end of the War of 1812. A chunk of that was due to the man of the hour, Archibald Henderson. Henderson was born in Colchester, Virginia, on January 21, 1783, and was raised in the Henderson House, built by his father, and is still standing if you want to visit today. Archibald's father was Alexander Henderson, who was a merchant and a politician in early America. Alexander Henderson was originally from Glasgow, Scotland, but migrated in 1756 to Archibald's birthplace. Archibald's mother was Sarah Moore, also known as Sally. Alexander and Sally had six boys, four of whom lived to adulthood. The oldest son, Alexander Henderson Jr., headed to what is now West Virginia to start a plantation. His son, George Washington Henderson, founded the Henderson Hall Plantation. It stayed in the family for six generations until 2007, where the last living relative, Michael Rolston, died and left it to the Oil and Gas Historical Association. Now, there are some reports on the interwebs that say Archibald Henderson joined the Marine Corps at 18. I'm not sure if this is true. I haven't found evidence that Henderson served in the Marine Corps as enlisted, so take that with a grain of salt. But Archibald Henderson was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps on June 4, 1806, and was transferred to the USS Constitution on August 11th. He wouldn't be a second lieutenant for long, and was promoted on March 6, 1807 to first lieutenant. His first tour would end about a year later, and Henderson was sent to the Charleston Navy Yard in 1808. On April 1, 1811, Archibald Henderson was promoted to captain, 14 months before the start of the War of 1812. Henderson would see combat during the war, and he was sent back to the USS Constitution on September 10, 1813, and was breveted a major in 1814. On February 20, 1815, the USS Constitution would spot two British vessels about 180 miles west-southwest of Madeira. They were the Cyan and the Levant, two British warships. Signals from the small frigate Cyan, which carried 30 32-pounders, two 18-pounders, and two 9-pounders, and the Levant, a sloop carrying 18 32-pounders and two 9-pounders, identified the Constitution as an enemy ship, and they quickly gave chase. At 1,800 hours, the warships were 300 yards from each other. All three ships raised their battle colors and started firing. The two British vessels fired at the Constitution. For 20 minutes, the U.S. frigate absorbed shot after shot while returning fire on the attacking enemy. When the USS Constitution returned fire with her massive guns, the British ship's response changed from constant fire to repairs. The crew was forced to fix the damaged ship, and she fled from the Constitution's cannons. When the smoke cleared a few minutes later, the USS Constitution was alongside the smaller of the two vessels, the Levant. Stewart, the captain of the Constitution, focused on the Levant and launched a devastating broadside into the sloop of war. 
As the British ship was recovering from the broadside, the Cyan positioned itself alongside the Constitution. Stewart used the smoke from the gunpowder as concealment. He turned the ship and pulled up so the two vessels were side by side. The two ships exchanged shots for 15 minutes, but the Cyan wouldn't keep up with the cadence, which resulted in the British ship slowing down her fire. The Constitution caused a lot of damage to the Cyan during the 15 minutes the two ships were engaged. This time frame allowed the Levant to make essential repairs, get the vessel up and running again, and once again advance on the Constitution. Marines from the American frigate fired at the Levant from the topmasts, and Stewart launched a broadside that raked the British ship's deck. This attack would immobilize the Levant. The Cyan was still in the game although she was severely damaged. The British ship was able to launch one more broadside into the Constitution. Stewart positioned the American frigate and was about to launch another broadside that would have demolished the Cyan, but right before he unleashed the attack, the British ship fired a gun leeward, which was a signal that the British yielded to the Constitution. This surrender happened at 1850, 50 minutes after the start of the battle. The Levant was more stubborn than her sister ship. Despite taking considerable damage, the British sloop didn't surrender. The Levant's captain wouldn't yield, even though the ship wasn't operational, and he stood towards the Constitution as she approached. The Constitution closed in, and the two ships exchanged broadsides. The U.S. frigate raked the deck of the Levant, and the British vessel tried to escape. Stewart gave chase and continued to fire at the stubborn British captain who refused to surrender. The British ship took substantial damage to her sails and rigging, which left the determined British captain little option. The Levant fired a single gun leeward and the battle was over. At the end of the match, the USS Constitution had 3 killed and 12 wounded. The Marines, who were commanded by a young Archibald Henderson, were engaged continuously from the fight's beginning. Many of the muster rolls are missing until 1821. However, the December 1813 muster roll, which Archibald Henderson signed, stated the ship carried three sergeants, three corporals, one fifer, one drummer, and 50 privates. The majority of men who died on this ship were Marines. Privates Antonio Farrow and William Horrell died. Sergeant Benjamin Norcross and Privates Patrick Kane, William Holmes, and Andrew Chambers were wounded. The British had 35 killed and 42 wounded. 313 British sailors and Marines were captured as prisoners during this engagement. Captain Stewart sent Archibald Henderson to Washington with the Cyan and the Levant flags as evidence of the veracity of the late enemy. In 1839, Archibald Henderson received a sword for his gallantry and good conduct by the state of Virginia. Henderson also received a silver medal and was included in Congress's thanks to the officers and men of the Constitution for their gallant service. On May 18, 1815, Brevet Major Henderson detached from the USS Constitution. For the next five and a half years, he would serve at important Marine Corps bases at the time, including Boston, Massachusetts, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Headquarters Marine Corps, and New Orleans, Louisiana. On October 17, 1820, 
Archibald Henderson was appointed as Commandant of the Marine Corps at 37 years old. For the first 15 years as Commandant, the Marine Corps didn't have many spectacular battles. However, Archibald Henderson did focus on the suppression of piracy in the West Indies and the operations against Kuala Batu, which will be the next conflict we discuss in the series. In 1834, Congress would pass an Act for the Better Organization of the United States Marine Corps. This act was an important milestone for the Marine Corps and established the Corps' mission as part of the Navy and allowed detachments to serve with the United States Army. This act also set enlistment terms for four years and aligned pay and benefit with the armies. It also developed the Marine Corps' strength to one colonel commandant, one lieutenant colonel, four majors, 13 captains, 21st lieutenants, 22nd lieutenants, one adjutant, one inspector, one paymaster, one quartermaster, one assistant quartermaster, one sergeant major, one quartermaster sergeant, one drum major, one fife major, 80 sergeants, 80 corporals, 30 drummers, 30 fifers, and 1,000 privates. President Andrew Jackson who fought with Marines during the Battle of New Orleans, used this act heavily the following year during the Indian Wars. The Indian Wars in the United States is a complicated topic, on many levels. We're talking about conflicts and territorial wars for well over 250 years. Summarizing the Indian Wars in a two-minute clip wouldn't do justice. Most people have a binary view of the U.S. conflicts with Native Americans. They either think that the United States' behavior was appalling and what early America did to Native Americans was horrendous and should be criminal. The other view is that Native Americans were vicious and they slaughtered early colonists ever since they landed in North America. The only way the country could flourish was to go to war with tribes who refused to establish a way for everyone to live together. But just like most of our problems today, the reality lies somewhere in the middle. The United States and Native Americans were both actively trying to massacre each other. Both sides purposefully killed innocent women and children. To further add to the complication, there were about 600 Native American tribes in North America at the time. And they were engaged with battles and massacres amongst themselves. This stage in U.S. history was a difficult time. Although it's easy to point fingers with the advantage of hindsight, Anyone who is knowledgeable about this topic will agree that these were violent times. The Indian War should be a podcast in and of itself. The Marine Corps was involved in multiple conflicts with Native Americans, and we will cover the origin of these conflicts from a very high level after the Sumatran Expedition. If you're impatient, I suggest reading Empire of the Summer Moon by S.C. Gwynn. This book isn't about the Marine Corps. I don't even think it mentions Marines. But it does focus on one tribe, the Comanches. It details the conflicts between Native Americans and the United States, and it's a very good read. During 1836 to 1837, the United States was at war with the Seminole and Creek Indians in Georgia and Florida. The Marine Corps was involved in this battle, and Archibald Henderson would lead from the front. Before he left, Marine Corps lore states that he pinned a note to his office door that read, Quote, gone to Florida to fight the Indians, 
We'll be back when the war is over. Unquote. The Commandant of the Marine Corps led his Marines and was exposed to the same danger as his men. On March 4, 1843, Henderson was commissioned Brigadier General by Brevet for his services during the Florida Indian Wars. Many documents referred to him as Brevet Brigadier General Henderson. However, this was an honorary title, and Henderson's final rank would be Colonel. In 1845, the Marine Corps was heavily involved in the Mexican-American War. This battle was critical for the Marine Corps, and the Battle of Chapultepec is memorialized in the Marines' hymn with the verse, From the Halls of Montezuma. There's also a myth in the Marine Corps that states the blood stripe on dress blue trousers signifies the blood loss and sacrifice by Marine non-commissioned officers during the battle. There are multiple variations of this legend, but they all boil down to the blood stripe representing the sacrifice made during the Battle of Chapultepec. We can break this down a couple of ways. First, the actual stripe. The Battle of Chapultepec was in September of 1847. As far as stripes go, Marines have had them on their uniform since the 1830s. In 1837, Marines started wearing stripes on their trousers, mimicking the Army's uniform. Archibald Henderson made these stripes white. As for red, in 1839, Henderson changed the color of the uniform again to dark blue coats with red lining. Stripes were changed from white to dark blue, edged in red to match the uniform. The blood stripe would change to solid red after the Battle of Chapultepec, but there is no reference in uniform regulations, commandant entries, or any other official Marine Corps documentation that states the blood stripe signifies the Battle of Chapultepec. The Marine Corps Museum even recognizes this. Here is their thought on blood stripes. Quote, Marine Corps tradition maintains that the red stripe is worn on the trousers of officers and non-commissioned officers, and commonly known as the blood stripe, commemorates those Marines killed storming the castle of Chapultepec in 1847. Although this belief is firmly embedded in the Corps' traditions, it has no basis in fact. The use of stripes clearly predates the Mexican War. Unquote. This truth hurt a little when I found out. Receiving a non-commissioned officer promotion in the Marine Corps was something I was proud of. When I was in, there was a strong tradition of blood stripe ceremonies, which would probably be considered hazing nowadays, but it built camaraderie and trust. Regardless, Archibald Henderson wasn't only revising Marine Corps uniforms during this time. He was expanding a small military force and strategizing operations of this growing force to be a formidable military branch known for its effectiveness and leadership. Archibald Henderson was a well-respected commandant. He was respected not only by his Marines, but also by leadership throughout the United States. The Marine Corps defined their name as an efficient and effective military branch before Archibald Henderson was in the picture. Still, Henderson took this superb fighting force and improved on the reputation. This change took the Marine Corps to a new level, and Congress started to rely more on the United States Marine Corps' specialties compared to other military branches. In the early 1850s, Marines participated in the Perry Expeditions, which took place in Japan, expeditions in Uruguay, the capture of the barrier forts in China, and further conflicts with Native Americans in Seattle, Washington. In 1857, Washington, D.C. had a problem with political gangs harassing voters, 
The Know Nothing Party, which seems like a horrible name for a political party, formerly known as the Native American Party, was at the center of most of the drama. The name can be misleading. The party wasn't made up of Native Americans. They define natives as descendants of original settlers to the country. The Plug Uglies was a radical know-nothing party group responsible for many of the riots and tension. In 1857, the Plug Uglies from Baltimore traveled to Washington with knives, guns, and other weapons and attempted to stop Irish Americans from voting. The group was successful with their attempt, and the city's police abandoned their post and the mayors closed the polls. President James Buchanan called on the Marines for help. Marine Major Henry Tyler quickly mustered two companies of Marines and traveled from the Marine barracks to downtown. Along with Major Tyler, Captain Jacob Zeeland, future Commandant of the Marine Corps, would take command of one of the companies, with William Maddox commanding the second. As the Marines advanced towards the center of town, the two forces met. As they squared off, the Plug Uglies opened their line and rolled out a cannon. The cannon was primed and aimed at the two companies of Marines. Alongside these two companies was an old man, holding a cane. This was Archibald Henderson. He wasn't young anymore, but the fire was still in his belly. As the cannon was aimed at the Marines, the 74-year-old Archibald Henderson waved his cane at the Plug Uglies and ordered them to disband and said, quote, Men, you had better think twice before you fire this piece at the Marines. Unquote. Colonel Henderson walked up to the cannon and purposefully placed his body against the muzzle, which prohibited the Plug Uglies from aiming in at the Marines. This move created enough of a distraction for a squad of Marines, led by one of the Commandant's sons, to advance on the cannon and take it from the rioters. Tension started to increase between the two forces, and the Plug Uglies threw rocks and fired shots at the Marines. There's an account of one of the rioters who walked up to Henderson, put a pistol in his face, and pulled the trigger. What happened next isn't exactly known. Either the pistol failed or he missed, but Henderson survived the attack, and a Marine sergeant fired at the Plug Ugly, wounding him in the arm. One of the rioters fired back, and this time, a Marine was hit in the cheek. Before the two forces faced off, Henderson commanded the Marines not to fire unless absolutely necessary. The Marine who was shot in the cheek survived, but this action was the last straw. The Marines retaliated. They fired their first volley into the Plug Uglies, and the group dispersed. This conflict would be the last time Archibald Henderson personally led Marines into battle. On January 6, 1859, Archibald Henderson would suddenly die while taking a nap. He is buried in the Congressional Cemetery in southeast Washington, D.C. Archibald Henderson is the longest-serving commandant in the Marine Corps, and Marines affectionately gave him the nickname Grand Old Man of the Marine Corps. Archibald Henderson was the nation's favorite Marine, and the country mourned his death. His notice of death stated, quote, It was apparent that death came without a struggle, and the good man and brave soldier had passed to his final rest without suffering in any respect the bitterness of death. Unquote. His funeral was one of the largest seen in Washington. His pallbearers included two Navy Commodores, two Navy Captains, 
three Marine Corps colonels, and the Surgeon General Thomas Lawson. As a sign of respect, flags were ordered to half-mast, and a mourning band was mandated for every military officer to be worn for 30 days. There are many stories about this extraordinary Marine, while he was living and after his death. On October 12, 1942, Commandant of the Marine Corps General Holcomb was hosting a party after announcing his decision to start recruiting women into the Marine Corps. The Commandant was asked, quote, General Holcomb, what do you think about having women in the Marine Corps? Unquote. Before he could answer, Archibald Henderson's painting fell off the wall, apparently suggesting the grand old man's disapproval of Holcomb's decision. Another Marine Corps legend states that Henderson tried to give the Commandant's house to his family in his will, because he lived in it for so long that he forgot it didn't belong to him. Regardless of the accuracy of these stories, Archibald Henderson was one of the most respected Marines in history. Through his leadership, he significantly improved the effectiveness of the United States Marine Corps. The Navy honored his memory by naming a transport vessel after him. As we explore the next two decades, Archibald Henderson will be an important figure starting with the first Sumatran expedition. The island of Sumatra is known for its pepper. In 1831, the U.S. merchant vessel, Friendship, was attacked, some of the crew was murdered, and the cargo stolen. In response to this massacre, President Jackson sent the USS Potomac, with the Marine Force, to Sumatra for retaliation. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we get into the Sumatran Expedition. History of the Marine Corps is now on Patreon. Visit the link in the description to visit our page and support the show. If you like what you're hearing, check out historyofthemarinecorps.com. Here you can subscribe to our newsletter, find out more information about each show, and look at references used for each episode. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Marine History, and on Instagram at History of the Marines. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend. We count on listeners like you to share and any help would be greatly appreciated. If you don't like what you hear, please contact us through historyofthemarinecorps.com and let us know why. I'm always looking for ways to improve. Thanks for listening and Semper Fi.